Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in Psalm 33, 1-5. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, worship team, Allison. Appreciate your ministry to us this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here. My name is Pastor Jeff Gangle, or better known as the husband of the parking lot angel, and uh, who was especially fluttering her wings out there today with that top. But uh, Beth told me before I came up here, she said there are a number of new folks visiting today, our guests today. So welcome, I'll say a special welcome to you. And to say to those of you regular Trinity folks, um, don't pester them, but welcome them. <laughs> Love on them, ask their name, get to know them, greet them. That would be great. So we like to try to strike that good balance here. We want you to feel welcome, but not overwhelm you either. And so that card is a great way to do that. Jason mentioned that at the beginning, if you could fill out a guest card. We just make one contact, however you would like us to contact you, invite you to um, inter- engage with us for more information or any questions you have or ministry or prayer requests, anything. We just want to be available to you, but uh, we promise not to overwhelm you at the same time. And let me say, too, as we start this morning into, into God's Word, um, especially if you're new here to Trinity or visiting, this is a little different where we are. This segment right here, two weeks between Easter Sunday, which was the first Sunday of the month, and next Sunday, as Jason said, is our mission Sunday. We had these two Sundays in between, so rather than jumping into a a two-week series, we decided to take two weeks, kind of one-off, and deal with a couple of current hot topic kind of issues and talk about what does God's Word say, how do we respond as Christians to these cultural topics, things that are going on in our society. So last week, Jason addressed this issue of human sexuality and, and, uh, and identity, and so uh, this week we're going to talk about another topic that's um, just hot. It's in the news a lot right now. And so we're going to move on, just so you know, this isn't typically what we do. It just was fit for right now is what God led us to do. Next week, Mission Sunday, really encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, We have a passion for missions, and we want you to hear what God is doing in other parts of the world through our mission partnerships, and especially how God is working in closed countries where there's a lot of persecution and where it's difficult to come to know the Lord and to talk about the Lord and to meet like this and worship the Lord. So uh, please be here next Sunday. It's vital for us, I think, to, to know about this and to be responsive to this as Christians and uh, praying for persecuted believers. But then the week after that, we're jumping into our next series, which is normally what we do, taking a book of the Bible, walking right through it, not avoiding anything that comes up, and seeing what is God saying through this whole Uh, message of this book. And so we're jumping into a big one, the book of Acts. It's really important for us, I think, now is coming out of a year of this pandemic. What is the church? 
wide we have the church. How do, what is God calling us to be as the church? How did this all start? That's what the book of Acts is about. The work of God through his Holy Spirit taking the message of Jesus Christ to the world. So we're calling the series to the ends of the earth, and we'll be in this through the summer studying the book of Acts. So I hope you'll join us that first Sunday in May when we launch into that new series. For today, let's pause for a minute. Let's ask for God's help and direction as we move into our, our sermon for today. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this worship. Thank you for these songs that have reminded us that though our sins are many, your mercy is more that your grace is greater than all of our sin. Lord, we need that message. We need that reminder because sometimes our sin just overwhelms us. Sometimes the burdens and the difficulties and the struggles of this life are too great because they are. They're too much for us. We are in desperate need of your help, desperate need of your forgiveness for our sin, desperate need of your grace and mercy to live our lives. So we thank you that you offer it freely to us through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we dive into a topic that's hot in our society, but that is also vitally important, central to your word. Help us to better understand what you want us to see, how you want us to respond today. And Lord, as always, I ask that you would, you would help me this morning to accurately, to rightly communicate your truth. Because, Lord, it must be what you say. It's about what you have said to us in your word. So we ask that your living word would do its work on us, that your living spirit would do its, your work in us to counsel us and guide us and teach us all that we need this morning as we engage with your word. We commit ourselves to you and submit ourselves to your spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So when I was little and when our kids were little, we often said the phrase, and we often heard the phrase, it's not fair. It's not fair. Now, I don't know if you, any of you, that, if you've said this before, or you hear this as parents or as grandparents, that's often the phrase. And, and our kind of comeback that we learned from another, another parents, whose kids were a little further along, say, well, but life isn't fair. Because it's not. It's not fair because sin has interrupted our world. And yet there's this innate desire for it. Now, it comes out as adults. It comes out in a little different form. And if you've been watching the news, you've been hearing this, you've been seeing this, if you've been sensing the unrest in our society, you know it because there's these, these cries for justice we've been hearing maybe more over this past year than ever before. But it's always been there. A sense of injustice, a cry for justice, and sometimes it takes on pretty radical and loud forms. So... This is important in our society. It's a main, it's a big word. This is not just a biblical word. This is a word for our society, for our day. The word justice. But what do we mean? What, what's the call? What's the cry? What's the desire behind it? I want to explore that a little bit this morning to see what the Bible says about this. As I mentioned, we are in this two-week kind of hiatus here, doing something a little different. J Jason did a great job last week speaking to the difficult subject of human sexuality, taking us right back to creation, right back to Genesis 1 and 2, to see God's design, God's image formed in us for sexuality and for marriage. 
And, and I think this issue, we go back there as well, because this innate desire for, hunger for, longing for justice, I think comes back, goes back to God's image placed in us. Because we've been created in God's image, we have a longing for what is right, what is just, and it's there because the image of God is stamped on us. But the problem is that just as Jason mentioned last week, that sin has distorted our view of sexuality in the same way sin has warped our view of justice. And you can see that as you look around in our society. So this morning I want to go back to God's Word because God's Word says a lot about justice. And it, this morning I want to help us see from God's Word how we as Christians should care about justice. This should be something that's important to us on our minds. But then also to see how do we respond to it in our society? How do we respond to it in our church? How do we respond to it in our individual lives? We're going to wrap all that up. But in tackling the subject, there's a challenge that we really have to address up front that I want to just, it's kind of like, you know, addressing, as we, as we say, the elephant in the room. Because there are certain issues that tend to be identified with political parties or agendas, and so they get politicized, as we say. For instance, if you, an emphasis on traditional marriage, on the rights of the preborn, those tend to be kind of categorized as, as issues for um, conservative groups. But then if you talk about issues of social justice, uh, helping the poor and marginalized, seeking racial equality, those tend to be lumped in or associated with liberal politics, just kind of the way we categorize things. But of course, in the political world, often it's just the rhetoric that goes on about those, not actual action that happens. But as Christians, we come at this and we say, well, wait a minute, we cannot let our attitudes and our behaviors and our choices be determined by political affiliations. We know that's not what guides us. They must be shaped by God's Word, by God's truth. And so today I want us to consider this issue that tends to be identified with liberal politics, but I want us to see that justice is not just a social issue. It's not just a political issue. It is first and foremost a biblical theological issue. And we need to know what God says about it. So we're going to begin with just a few definitions before we dive into the word itself. So the dictionary defines justice as the quality of being just. Don't you love that, how in dictionaries just use the same word? It doesn't really help you. Okay, justice, the quality of being just. But it goes on because it is helpful. These next few words, righteousness, equitableness, moral rightness. Actually, it's a pretty good definition. It lines up with two key Old Testament words, Hebrew words that are used for justice. In fact, you're, you'll see that as we go through some of these passages, these same kind of words of righteousness and rightness coming up. But the problem is when our society uses the term justice, oftentimes it's talking about social justice. And that has a whole different definition. So just to clarify our terms as we begin this morning, here's a definition for social justice. Justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. So it's really talking about how it's applied, worked out in society. And what we're going to see this morning is that when the Bible talks about justice, it often includes 
social application and action, but it focuses more and specifically and firstly on moral rightness, whether it's talking about individual justice or social justice. You have to start with that, that element of moral rightness because that's where God starts. So, why should we care about justice? Here's the first, first reason. We should care about justice because God is just, because that's who He is. And the Bible talks a lot about God's interest in justice and, and talking about Him talking about justice, but it's not just that. It's not just the subject matter. It is God Himself in His very nature. It's one of His attributes He is just, and therefore, He Himself is the definition of justice. So, hang on, because we're going to fly through a lot of Scripture passages this morning. I told the first first service, unless you were, you know, the winner of those Bible drills when you were a kid, you know, and you were the first one to be able to find a Bible verse, unless you're really good at flipping through your Bible, then, then I encourage you, if you want to follow, great, but just, we're going to have every one of these on the screen, so catch it here. If you're taking notes, write down the reference so you can go back to it later. But we're going to fly through a number of passages this morning. We're starting in Psalm 33, where we started, uh, and we read that first part. The last verses, let me read these again. Psalm 33, 4 and 5. The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. So right off the bat, you're getting the sense of God's heart. He loves righteousness and justice. Deuteronomy 32, 4, the words of Moses to the people of Israel, describing God. He says, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. Hey, Moses painting a picture. He wants to see God for who He is, and justice is part of His character. In Isaiah 61, 8, and if, if you think, well, this is other people describing God, here is God describing Himself. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And the theme carries right on into the New Testament. Paul says God is just in 2 Thessalonians 1. John says he is faithful and just in 1 John 1. And so you get this this idea that God's justice, because it's coupled with these concepts of righteousness and faithfulness and truth, you have a sense from that of what his justice is all about. God is just in that He can perfectly distinguish between right and wrong, between truth and error, because God gets it right and He gets it right every time. Therefore, we can say with all confidence that God is just. And what's interesting is the way His justice then gets applied to people. So now we bring it into relationships because if we just had this concept of God's justice, we might think of Him in harsher terms as, as a just judge, and He is the judge, the only perfect judge, but some get a misconception of God because of that. But even in the Old Testament, we see this application of God's justice as it applies to us as people. Notice this fascinating description, Psalm 146, verses 7 to 9. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but He frustrates the ways of the wicked. You see God's justice applied to people in need. 
This is what He cares about. This is what He strives to make right. And not only are these God's priorities, He calls His people to this standard of justice as well. So look what the prophet Isaiah says, Isaiah 1.17, speaking again to God's people, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So in this, this first point, we come to say, if we claim to worship and follow God, then His desire, this desire for justice for the poor, for the needy, for the oppressed, for the fatherless, for the widowed, for those bowed down, if that's God's desire, it must be God, our desire as well. If this is God's heart, it should be our heart. So we look at the nature of God, this is how we should see Him, and therefore how we should emulate Him. If we're going to represent Him, we must understand His view of justice and social justice because we see His justice applied to society. I'll give you an example of this. A few years ago, you remember when all the, the war broke out, the civil war in Syria, and the government was destroying its own people. I mean, they were escaping their country just for their lives, to save their lives. And you had this flow of Syrian refugees coming into Europe and, and the European countries figuring out how to, how to deal with this influx of refugees. And some of those refugees ended up in the part of Austria where our own missionaries, Daniel and Kathleen Harrison, are serving. They're planning a church there. And they and their daughter, Ava, you see them in a picture when Beth and I were there a couple of years ago. Well, their ministry was not, they hadn't started to be a refugee ministry, but because they were there, they saw this need, and as Christians, they responded, the heart of God, to respond to these people who were clearly the poor, the needy, the oppressed now in their community. So they reached out. They began to come alongside. They began to care for them and show concern for them. They began to bring food and, and clothing, and they came alongside to advocate for them, to help them figure out how to do the paperwork so they could stay in the country and not get deported, to figure out how they could find jobs and integrate into society where they had now been placed. And they brought the message of Jesus. They brought the gospel. They began to pray for them. They began to bring Bibles to them. This became a part of their ministry. Because they had a heart for this, they saw a need to act in what I would call biblical social justice to advocate for the poor and the needy and the oppressed who'd come into their community. Yes, we should care about justice because God is just, because this is what He cares for. But it became even more evident when Jesus came. So this is our second point this morning, that we should care about justice because Jesus cares about justice. When Jesus came to earth, it should be no surprise to us that He valued justice, that He lived justly in every way. So Matthew shows us here, go to another passage where Matthew shows us how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, Messianic prophecy, God speaking, telling us what the Messiah is going to be like. Matthew records in Matthew 12, 18 to 20, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. This is really an extraordinary passage. It's a prophecy about Jesus. 
And you see the difference here between our world's approach to justice and especially social justice and Jesus' approach to justice because He came proclaiming justice, but He did it through the words of God, through a gentle, quiet message for the most part, other than when He was confronting the Pharisees. He did it through, through healing miracles among the people. He proclaimed justice, yes, but not by blocking streets and throwing stones. He proclaimed justice. He brought justice through to victory. As we'll see in a moment, He did it through the cross. And you can tell Jesus was an advocate for what we would call social justice today. They didn't call it that. He didn't call it that. But the way we look at it, 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 the poor and the oppressed were drawn to Him all the time, right? He healed the sick. He welcomed the poor. He touched the outcast that nobody else would touch. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. In fact, the leaders of Israel condemned Him for doing all this. But Jesus came to show the justice of God. He lived out the just character of God by loving and inviting all to Him. You know, a lot of justice advocates in our day are strong on demands. People need to do this, people need to do that, but they're weak on compassion and actually caring for the people who are most in need. Jesus was just the opposite. He didn't come demanding, He came inviting. He didn't come in violence, He came in compassion. And He called the leaders to that same kind of biblical justice. Notice what He said to the religious leaders. He called them out for their lack of godly justice. Matthew 23, 23, He says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness.'" You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus was saying you needed to practice individual justice, which the Pharisees were pretty good at, but you also needed to practice social justice, the right kind of social justice, which they were not doing. And ironically, follow the life of Jesus. The one who did live justly in every way Jesus, without sin, He was treated unjustly in the end and faced the most injustice of anybody ever. Even the thief on the cross recognizes this. So look at Luke 23, 41. Jesus there on the cross, thieves on either side of Him, and the one thief says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He understood we're getting what is just and right for us. But then he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized in Jesus there was, he was being treated unjustly. And yet it was in submitting himself to this injustice that Jesus satisfied the ultimate justice of God. So here's where we bring this into the picture. Because in regard to sin, the reason Jesus came was to fully fulfill God's justice. Paul puts this together in Romans 3, and before I read this passage, let me just say that the, the Greek word for justice is also translated, in fact, usually translated righteousness. 
And so when you see that, you can almost plug in either word. It's really, it means the same thing. And so in this passage, Romans 3, 25 and 26, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness or read justice because in His forbearance He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. That would have seemed unjust that those sins were not punished. So he did it to demonstrate his righteousness or justice at the present time so as to be the just, that's God, it's his character, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So here, Paul, see how Paul's wrapping all of this up. Our problem is that because of our sin, we can never be fully just. We can never achieve perfect justice in our lives, in our world, in our society, which is why we will continue to hear these cries of injustice. There will be acts of injustice, moments of injustice, periods of injustice, because there is sin. But that's why Jesus came. He came to address that need and to meet our greatest need because our sin separates from us from God, because our sin requires in the justice of God that there be death as a punishment for sin. But Jesus came to die that death. Only the one who is fully right, only the one who is perfect, can deal with what is wrong in us with our sin. So when Jesus came to earth, he took that punishment for sin on Himself, on the cross, so that we could be justified. And you see how that word is maybe just kind of categorized as a theological word out here on the side. It, it comes with this word justice. Same root, same idea. We are justified. We are made just. We are made right in God's eyes because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Because He took our place. He took our punishment. We are made just. And it's the only way we can be made just. So here is where biblical justice and social justice collide. So listen real carefully. Follow me here. This is kind of the crux of our, of our study this morning. Because throughout the history of the church, whenever Christians have emphasized social justice and social change to the neglect of biblical justification, what Paul just talked about, and spiritual transformation, what only Jesus can do in changing our lives, when we neglect that, we've ended up with what we look back now and call a social gospel. Not the real gospel. Not the gospel of Christ, not the gospel of the Bible, but a social gospel. Now, let me give you an example of this, because there's a period of our history here going back, end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, when this social gospel was actually a thing. It was a named movement where certain Christian groups and, and leaders and churches and denominations, in an attempt to address these social needs set aside the gospel of Christ and made it all about the social problems. Now, one example of what happened through that was a, a creation of what were called settlement houses. And this was led by churches and 
Christian groups who believe this would be a good idea, settlement houses to bring in people who are immigrating to the U.S. and help them acclimate to um, U.S. culture. And that makes good sense. But the problem was because it was a social gospel-oriented program, it lacked the spiritual input to have lasting impact. And so that's why today when we address this, when we look at this as Christians, we need to be careful ourselves that we don't jump on the bandwagon of secular or even quasi-Christian organizations or movements that supposedly are seeking and striving for social justice, but they're actually instead promoting one particular race or social group or agenda over others. And especially if they're doing that without bringing in the gospel of Christ, the true gospel, to actually bring about the change. I would encourage you, don't jump on those bandwagons. Don't support that with your time, your effort, your money. If it doesn't bring the gospel of Christ, in the end, it will not accomplish the work of God's kingdom. So today, I think, what do we do then? Instead of being, following this path, I think because as Christians, we know that true justice and justification only comes through Jesus Christ, then we need to proclaim Him. We need to proclaim His gospel and be actively involved in serving the poor and the needy and do it regardless of race or socioeconomic status. That cannot get in the way. Christians above all, should be ones who never show favoritism, who are willing and wanting and ready to share the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ with anyone and everyone. The Word of God, the power of the gospel, that's what becomes our catalyst. That's what drives us to justice. So that's what social justice should look like coming from us as Christians. Which is why Trinity Church, just give you an example of this, why we intentionally partner with organizations that do exactly this, that have as their primary agenda sharing the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And then in doing that, they are out there to meet the practical, personal, physical needs of people. So we partner with organizations, as you heard recently, with like CARES, right in our own community reaching specifically the poor and the needy right here in our community. But maybe you didn't even know this. We did this two weeks ago when we had gathered up the, the food for the Easter dinners and so on. Every one of those bags that we sent out, 250 bags, not only had food for Easter, it had a Gospel of John in it. It had an invitation to Trinity. It had, had the message of the Gospel included in there. Because in everything that we do in meeting the physical needs, we also want to make sure we are addressing the spiritual needs because those are the deepest. We partner with the Pregnancy Center right here locally in Pickens County, serving single moms and fatherless kids and doing it with the message of the gospel. We partner with Samaritan's Purse, serving the helpless and, and the hurting in neighborhoods and in nations all over the world and doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to. That's what the Bible calls us to, to care about justice and social justice. But what I would actually call, maybe I'm redefining this here a little bit, at least giving you a new category of spiritual-social justice because that's what I think 
Korea's Christians are called to, addressing both the heart and the body, spiritual needs and the physical needs. Which leads us to number three, we should care about justice because the Bible calls us to act justly. So you look throughout the Bible, old and new, we've seen a number of examples of this. We're called to value justice just as God values justice. It should affect our attitudes, it should affect our actions, our lives. So let me give you a few more passages to show you this. Here's Micah 6.8. If it's the only verse in Micah you've ever heard, then this is probably one you know, you're familiar with. It tells us what God desires of us. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? There's a great question. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There it is. There's our calling. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Jeremiah 22, 3, the prophet spells out the specifics. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. What is that? Rescue the hand of the oppressor, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. That's our call. That's justice in God's sight. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. King Lemuel remembers the wise words of his mother. I love this. He comes in to be king and he remembers what his mother said to him and he applies it to being a good godly king. He says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Over and over and over again. And we come to the New Testament. I think it's James who gives us the clearest example of what I would call Christian social justice. Starting the end of chapter 1, James says, Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Because suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say, here's a great seat for you, but you say to the poor man, oh, you stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What is James saying? He's just being very practical. He says, this is what it means for Christians to practice social justice. It means showing kindness and deference to all, regardless of race, regardless of social status, regardless of political persuasion, because any favoritism, James says, is sin on our part. So it means taking care of orphans and widows, the poor, the needy, the oppressed, whether right here within our own church, right here in our own community, or somewhere else in the world. That's our job. And always with the goal of sharing faith and encouraging faith. So next week you're going to hear how this applies to our part in helping praying for oppressed believers. If we're going to help the needy and the oppressed, then that includes those Christians who are in other parts of the world where they're being oppressed. We need to be aware of that, praying for them, acknowledging this, because they are suffering for the cause of Christ. And we as their brothers and sisters need to come alongside them. So part of responding this way is, is exactly what we're going to do next week. So we're going to practice what this passage, these passages call us to. But what I would say to you is don't just 
wait for the church to do this for you. It doesn't have to be a program that we start or something that we're doing here. As Christians, we have personal, individual responsibility to have the heart of God about this for others, to look for those needs around us. A couple of months ago, someone right here within our church, Trinity Church family, I'm not going to use any, any names to not embarrass anyone, but this person came in contact with a family in, her, in our community here where there was a great, great need. I don't even remember how this contact first happened, but when it did, this person felt burdened, called by God to step in, do something for this need. And so, just tried to figure out whether the need was, was, pretty, was pretty specific. There was car repair issues, there was a, uh, supplies for a new baby that was born into the family. And so, this person stepped in, gave time and effort, and called on us as a church, said, can we give some help, which we have a benevolence fund specifically for that. So just so you know that, if you come across a need and there's something we can do as a church to help supply that need, that's what that fund is for. So that family received that help, received that need from this individual as well as from the church as a whole. That, I think, is a great example of responding to and interacting with needs that we come in contact with. That's our call to social justice, showing mercy, acting justly. Now, maybe you don't know anybody who's poor and needy. Maybe it's, it's just not in your sphere of, of interaction with the fatherless, the familyless, the helpless, the homeless. Maybe you just don't come across people very much. And if that's the case, I would say then... Acting justly may require you to step out of your comfort zone sometimes and find them. It may be connecting with a partner ministry or an organization that does what we've described this morning, that brings the gospel, you bring the gospel, but you do it in a way that meets the need of somebody who is desperate, who's oppressed, who's hurting. Maybe, maybe you would choose to open up your home. My son was telling me this past week about an organization their church has found called the Safe Families. And they vet families who then open up their homes to be kind of a refuge for a family in need on a temporary basis. Maybe while there's a hospitalization or, a, or a, some emergency need. That's a pretty big deal, to open up your home to somebody in need. Maybe it's to do it. Some other people in Trinity have done this, become a mentor to a student at one of the local schools, taking an hour out of your week to go and sit and just interact with, build a relationship, share your life and your faith with a student. Maybe it's to pick up with and do more than just programs we do. Maybe it's partnering with one of these ministries that the Trinity partners with, and you volunteer your time specifically, personally. It'll put you in touch with those in need. My, my call, a uh, suggestion, my urging this morning is to do something that enables you to show the justifying love of Christ to someone who might otherwise get overlooked, not hear it, not see it, not experience the compassion of Jesus if they don't see it in you. That's true biblical social justice.
I'm going to close this morning with the ultimate call to social justice, and this will kind of transition us to celebrating what the Lord Jesus did for us. It's from Matthew 25, and Jesus speaks to the righteous, the just in heaven, and He explains to them what they have done for Him. He says, "'Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me.' Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So yes, we should care about justice, but we should practice justice in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the cause of the great King Himself, because it's doing it for Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask that You would give us Your heart on this. Lord, You've been so gracious and merciful to us. We've sung about that. We've thought about that. We've been reminded of that this morning. And that though Your justice would say that we deserve death because of our sin, You poured out the punishment on Your own Son, Jesus, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be justified, made just in Your eyes by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, out of that amazing justification, being made righteous, may we then actively pursue those opportunities to demonstrate Your justice to our world, to advocate for and enter into and engage with those who are in need, who have physical needs as well as spiritual needs, because we have the gospel that answers both. So, Lord, I pray that you would move us as your people to respond. And when our world cries out for justice, we may not have what people think they're looking for, but we have what people really need the gospel of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.